Welcome to the Volume Alpha Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Walsh. Welcome, Chris. How are you, Dan? Doing great, Chris. So uh, picking up at where we left off last week, let's look at jobless claims. Uh, we saw a, a bit of a moderate improvement with jobless claims falling about 40,000 to around 750,000 this week. And traditional claims fell another 700,000. We're down to uh, about 7.75 million. Um, however, pandemic unemployment assistance claims jumped up 309,000. Uh, you know, last week, a lot of our, our conversation centered around a material portion of the improvement and it was in continuing claims because of the expiration of state benefits. Um, and, and again, contra- contrast that with the improvement overall job, job market. So, um, you know, the question for you this morning is start off is, you know, how long can this continue? And, you know, is this a dynamic that is also contributed to the recent market volatility? Yeah, I mean, I- I think this week is just further confirmation that the improvement we're seeing in continuing claims can't completely be attributable to an improvement in the employment outlook. Um, It's clear that a a good portion of those claims are just transferring over to the pandemic unemployment assistance program with the expiration of those state benefits. And roughly we're in week 29 of the pandemic impact and state benefits run out after 26 weeks. So we now have kind of three weeks of data that we can see what percentage is transferring into the federal assistance program. That program only lasts another 13 weeks, uh, or it's an additional 13 weeks uh, beyond the 26 weeks you get from the state. So, uh, you know, I think that's why we've seen a little bit of the political jockeying going into the election, uh, the assumption being that whatever assistance expires at the state level, there's enough federal assistance through the CARES Act to carry past the election date. But we're going to need stimulus really soon because this dynamic just isn't tenable. If nothing else, without um, that that pandemic unemployment assistance, the recovery itself won't continue. So even the you know, 50% or so that we can attribute to an improving labor market, that'll come under pressure. So I think, you know, we're within eight or 10 weeks of where it has to come to an end or this dynamic comes to an end, and we're going to need to see some real stimulus. Uh, And there's no question that that's contributing to the market volatility. Um, You know, it's very apparent that the, the money that consumers have used this year was was not a paycheck. It was a one-time transfer, and we still have millions and millions of people unemployed, and so we will need more stimulus. So it's definitely not sustainable. Uh, the trend will deteriorate further in another eight to ten weeks if we don't start getting checks out the door soon. Right, and you know I think we had uh, if you you rewind a few of our conversations, you know a month back or, or so, and we had high hopes that. Potentially, this would, would take place prior to the election, and you know certainly as it's coming up next week, it's not going to happen. So, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully, well before we get to that week 39. Uh, looking over at you know 2020, uh, so I guess to say it's been an unusual time period would be, be certainly understating it. But um, yeah, I, I think that alongside of that, we really shouldn't be surprised with the volatility we've experienced since the beginning of September, and and even over the last week, it's been you know, uh, up and very up and down, mostly down ride. Um, We've often said that you know liquidity drives markets. So, question for you: you know, has, has the liquidity changed significantly, or, or what do you think is behind the current market volatility? Yeah, I think there's two things behind it that's related to liquidity. One, the liquidity environment 
as it just relates to capital markets, it has deteriorated in the last, call it two months, relative to what it was when the Fed initiated their programs um, at the beginning of the pandemic. That deterioration was planned, it was anticipated, the, the guidance was put out as to the force of QE and what it would look like over the next several months. And so, you know, we looked at it and said, look, we're going to need another round of stimulus or, or miraculous recovery because the liquidity really does start to fade in the third and fourth quarter. So that's adding to some of the issues. Um, at the same time, the market had discounted early on that there was going to be even more stimulus uh, coming after the initial payment to households. It was just obvious that that was going to be insufficient and, you know, a reasonable market participant would have never anticipated that politicians wouldn't seek to, you know, kind of keep households in, in good position going into the election. And so I do think the market had probably overly discounted the amount of household strength and the recovery on the services side of the economy. So that's playing into this volatility as well as expectations on the recovery come down. Um, but another unique element was a lot of the stimulus that went out went out to people that really didn't need it for consumption purposes or to pay rent. Uh, and they ended up opening brokerage accounts and we've seen a resurgence and retail investing. And by and large, you know, these are not full-time investors. And so they've showed up to the market and they caught the momentum bad wagon. And I'm sure quite a few confused a bull market for brains and then were shocked when all of a sudden, you know, you, you, the market runs into a little bit of volatility. And so those levered players and or uh, those players that with weaker hands, when you start to see a rise in the VIX, it just shakes them out. And there's no question that volatility levels are very elevated. And so, you know, again, more stimulus, refill those retail brokerage accounts or get some momentum back in the market and that'll tame this volatility. Um, and then just seasonally, you know, this is a very volatile month. It always has been. So I don't want to read too much into it. There's a, there's a lot of uh, per perfectly rational explanations for the volatility. It doesn't have to be anything sinister. And even in, in yesterday's very large sell-off, uh, you know, we were buyers. Um, I didn't see anything that would indicate that, you know, the bottom was getting ready to fall out from under the market. Uh, again, people were complacent. Now they're fearful. Uh, those emotions are healthy. If I started to see the dollar really break higher, um, that would be a problem, and I would, that would be a, a real indication that we're going to have further liquidity problems. And clearly, the, the rate of improvement in Europe slowed sooner, which means their real rates went up. And when that happened, we've seen a bounce higher in the euro, and that created this little counter trend move that began kind of late summer in the dollar, and that in and of itself also contributed to a lot of the volatility. So there's a lot of cross currents going on right now, but I do expect them to settle down if we get more stimulus. If we don't get more stimulus, then unfortunately, you know, there, there's more valuation compression from a multiple standpoint that is likely to occur.
Right. So uh, follow up to that. So you, you, you mentioned liquidity has deteriorated over the last two months. Um, you mentioned stimulus. One other thing that you mentioned was, you know, looking at the dollar if that continues to break higher or does break higher. Are, are there any other you know, markers or signposts that investors can focus on to follow liquidity? What, what, what do you keep an eye on and what should people be uh, you know, looking for? Uh, well, I think they really need to just watch the volatility levels in the market. I think it's the simplest thing an investor can do and watch the volume in the market. Um, so if you can look, track, you know, the volatility within the NASDAQ versus the volatility within the Russell 2000 versus the volatility in the S&P 500, watch the volatility of oil, watch the volatility of gold. Um, and what you want to see when we're getting near tops or bottoms, you know, near a top, you'll see probably falling volume in whatever traded asset you're looking at, rising prices, but yet rising volatility. And then you'll see the reverse of that at the bottom, right? In the sell-offs, you'll see falling volume, you'll see falling volatility, but yet falling prices. And those are just indications of exhaustion to the upside or the downside. Um, if you want to get really technical, you can start looking at intra-asset correlations. Uh, but for broad strokes, I would just focus on on volume and volatility. They're really good indicators uh, of what's going on with a specific asset class. Okay. And don't forget, don't don't confuse your brains for, for a bull market. That's good. Correct. Um, so, so look at um, – you know, moving things over, let's just talk about the rise in case in COVID, right? We've seen a spike, um, particularly in Western Europe. We've seen lockdowns being reinstated in, in Europe. And investors, uh, they probably have a sense of a bit of deja vu in the first quarter of 2020. So your question, you know, here is, is should investors use the same playbook as they use in Q1? Or do you think there's you know, a better approach of taking advantage of market volatility? Is there, is there anything that we've learned um, that you've seen for investors that they can uh, shift what they're doing and, and try to hopefully take advantage of this round? Yeah, I, I do think it would be dangerous to use the same playbook. Uh, you know, remember, the, the Fed lost control of the Treasury complex within weeks of the shutdown. And that fo that followed the fourth quarter of 2019 when the repo market came unhinged and forced the Fed to act. So coming into the pandemic, it was clear that the Fed was the only game in town for financing deficits. Then when we looked at the political choices made regarding the pandemic, it is clear to investors that the Fed not only is the last game in town, but they're going to be printing money onward and upward as far as the eye can see. And so that caused a rise in inflation expectations, a backup in yields in the Treasury, and forced the, the Fed's hand. That then caused investors not only to buy kind of the large cap growth momentum stocks, specifically large cap tech, because they are beneficiaries from work from home, but they were also used as a surrogate for treasuries in a time of, of crisis like we'd be experiencing now, where you could buy those knowing that the Fed was not going to allow yields to rise. Um, you know, that there's a chink in that armor, right? We didn't get the stimulus when we thought we would, so now. You know, investors know they're on the political calendar as to uh, control and movements in markets. And as such, you got to it means you can play the Treasury market. So you can't go back to that playbook necessarily. And then also, we're just a lot further through the pandemic. We're a lot further through the recovery. We've learned a lot. We know what this virus is about. 
We know there's vaccines that are going to be announced shortly. We know logistics are in place for those to be shipped. Um, we have a good read into what areas of the economy had demand pull forward, like work from home names, and where demand's been pushed out, which is true in industrials and in materials and in other drug development that's not vaccine related. So I think it's important that investors almost do the opposite of what they wanted to do in, in March and April. And so it is a very different playbook. You need to focus on the recovery stories, those that will, in fact, not have their balance sheets impaired. Uh, but we'll probably exit 2021 without any new shocks in a fairly strong recovery, uh, as long as we keep giving the stimulus. We have to have fiscal stimulus. If we don't, we will follow the path of Japan, witness Europe. That's kind of what Europe's starting to experience because they just don't have the fiscal union to get the stimulus that they need. And thinking about these these potential outcomes, and you're talking about the course of the year, and you know certainly one that is, is staring us in the face, and it's coming up next week is the election, and you know this it's uh well you know there's there's a wide range of, of narratives surrounding the outcome, and and if I'm just gonna you know shoot through a couple, you know if we saw a Dem sweep, a Democratic sweep, right, we you know that seems, seemingly would be positive for cyclicals and value. Uh, if we end up with a Biden win in a Republican Senate. Um, that appears to be more uh, beneficial for growth stocks and will flavor a di- uh, favor a, a disinflationary environment. So, uh, you know, just hypothetically thinking, you know, we're, you know, what's your take on the impact of the different markets from from a variety of different uh, election outcomes? Yeah, here's my here's my view. I'm I'm very nervous when there's narratives in the marketplace because, I, and this is the way I believe markets work. Narratives follow price action, right? So. Uh, a trade occurs or a trend occurs and they wrap a narrative around it to try to explain what's going on. Very often those narratives are just patently false, but become, you know, mainstream, mainstream thought in the financial press. When we saw the, the cyclical rally this summer and you could look at the polls and it's, you know, widening Biden and widening dim sweep. And, oh, that must be it. Like, I, I'm very skeptical of that. One, politicians are professional liars. It's what they do, right? So when, you, when, when I hear anything on the campaign trail, I just know to discount it. So when I hear the narrative is the Dems are going to have a greater stimulus than they would uh, if it was a, a Democratic White House and Republican Senate. Maybe on the margin, but I don't actually necessarily believe that the Republicans are fiscal hawks outside of a contentious election environment where a few key members in the Senate uh, need to demonstrate that they care about the budget. On the other side of this, they all have to get reelected, which means we have to have the economy going. Uh, and I think that's also true when we look at the Democratic proposed tax policy. I realize we're, we need to punish corporations for creating economic growth and jobs. And, you know, we got to punish capital for topping off uh, pension plans. And so we need to raise capital gains and things such as that. Again, that may be more rhetoric than reality. On the margin, are those true? Potentially. Um, so I, I am not all in in any one scenario is good or one scenario is bad. I think politics are an evolving uh, process. It's like an evolving ecosystem, and what may have been true on a campaign trail 
may not be true after the campaign's over. So I do think it's absolutely critically important that we get stimulus. I, 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 you just can't express that enough. So stimulus is needed, and it's needed in size, and my guess is we're going to need it for well into the future. So as long as that happens, uh, we'll be in good shape and, and we can deal with tax consequences. Right. Uh, so I, I think it will only fitting. We talked a lot about volatility in, in this conversation today, um, particularly around the reasons why we've seen the recent market volatility. Uh, but looking just one more opinion of yours, you know, what, what do you think would have to occur for the equity market to experience a fourth quarter rally? Um, as we, as we get through, I think that'd be a great way to close out 2020. Hopefully people have some short memories and, and finish up on a positive note, but, uh, what, you know, what, what do you think it's going to take? Yeah, I, I think there's three keys to this fourth quarter rally. Uh, number one, we need stimulus, right? Whether the checks are out the door, there are some logistical issues that it may be checks can't get, get out the door till February. Although I think they probably figure out some workarounds because they'll be needed sooner than that. But we need stimulus. Number two, we need vaccine announcements. We knew we were going to see a ramp up in COVID cases. We knew it was going to be worse than it was in the spring and the summer. That's just what the weather dictates. Um, and, and, but yet we know how to deal with the vaccine. The mortality rates are much lower. Those that are vulnerable know what to do regarding social distancing. And so it, the reality is it's not going to be as bad. And we have a very powerful industrial recovery underway. And the services recovery is underway as also. And that's not just the U.S. Even though Europe's weaker, it's still recovering. Uh, but we need those vaccine announcements and we need to see shipments go out. Because if we can see shipments to the frontline employees in the fourth quarter, we know it's going to get to the rest of the population in 2021. And that's the transparency that the market's going to need. And then finally, we need a clean election. I don't think it matters who wins. I don't think it matters if it takes a few days or even a week or so to find out the results because we have to have to count ballots or we have to deal with some contested claims in certain jurisdictions. But it needs to be what I'd call a clean election, right? We have election. We have a path to resolution within a reasonably short time frame. And if we have that, those three factors, stimulus, vaccine, clean election, uh, I think we can rally in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and it may be a material rally after this, you know, 10% or so pullback we've seen. Well, good. Well, certainly optimistic. Uh, let's hope we can we can start clicking through at least a few of these in, in short term, at least after next week takes place. So uh, let's wrap it up there. That's terrific, Chris. Thank you so much. And we will have you back here uh, hopefully next week. We'll catch up again. Sounds good, Dan. Take care. All right. We'll see you. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast or any podcast in the series does not constitute professional investment advice or services and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.